I invite you to open your Bible tonight to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 16. I said this morning, it's one of my favorite um, stories in the Bible, and tonight I'm happy to tell you why. Acts chapter 3. So this is uh, right, um, right after Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been poured out in chapter 2, and um, the church has been born. And um, now the world is going to try to figure out, or, or the apostles are going to explain to the world what the church is about, what the church is for. Acts chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, it would be 3 o'clock. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So far the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful story. We thank you, Lord, that your spirit speaks this truth to our hearts tonight, and we pray that he would. Uh, Father, um, may we rejoice praising God for the wonder of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray it in his name, amen. If you were to go down the street and uh, ask people to um, tell you, what is the church for? Why does the church exist? What, what good uh, does the church do in the world? Uh, people would, I'm sure, struggle, but maybe some would be able to say, well, um, I think they're able to do some good. I mean, morals are good for a society, and the church teaches morality. So I think it's probably good for people, um, you know, to have 
friends and, and uh, to be part of a community that, that helps them when times are hard. Those would be the good, the positive answers. Others would say the church has, is no good at all, accomplishes nothing, uh, full of a bunch of, of, of bigots. Uh, but but there would be a wide variety of answers. There was a New York Times article not that long ago that talked about the benefit of going to church. Did you know that going to church regularly is good for you physically? It's good for your health. It reduces stress, for instance. Some of you are thinking with little kids. I'm not sure that's true, but um, that's what the article said. It reduces stress. Um, it gives people a sense of community. It does do things that they can, you know, scientists can uh, check it out. And they say, yeah, people who go to church seem to live healthier, happier lives. That's just true. But that's not what the church is for. It's not what the church is for. Uh, tonight, we're at this wonderful story. As the church comes onto the stage of the world, uh, people are asking, what does it do? What's it good for? What, it, what can it accomplish? And here in Acts chapter 3, we have this wonderful insight into the essential nature of the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and we see that um, it's not what people would have assumed. People in that day would have assumed that this is a new religion, Right when Paul goes to Mars Hill in Athens and, and starts talking, and people say, what, what is he talking about? And, and, and people said, well, it's some new religion that, he, that he's come up with. Well, here we see it's, it's not a new religion. The world of that day did not need any new religion. It was awash with religions. What it needed was a new reality, something that was able to truly answer to the brokenness and wickedness of this world. It needed a new power, a new principle that could oppose and overcome the principalities and powers of darkness. And that's exactly what we find here at the gate of the temple. First, Peter, um, or uh, Luke, as he's writing this, introduces us to Peter and John who are going to the temple and they, they come across a man, a person, not an issue. Uh, but, but a man, a man made in the image of God. We, when we think and ask what's wrong in the world, we might think of issues like poverty and racism and disease, lack of education. But, but the, 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 the problem with the world are people. People made in the image of God and yet people who are um, lost. People who've been created for a purpose and yet have rebelled against that purpose. Luke wants us to see a man. A man with a name and a, and a family, a man with an eternal destiny. And he's a man with a great need. He's lame from birth. He can't walk, never could walk. And that problem has been the source of countless other problems in his life. It means that he can't participate in society, in society like other men. He can't provide for his family if he has a family. He's cut off from what we would call normal life. He's utterly dependent upon other people to carry him around. He's dependent upon begging so he has enough to eat. He's a man with broken legs and a broken life, and a picture of utter dependency, utter powerlessness. And it's always been that way. He had never experienced God's intended purpose for his body. He'd never, he'd never been able to run or walk. His whole life, he's spent suffering in a very tangible way the effects of the fall, the curse of sin. He really is an, a perfect picture of the, the, the tragedy and plight of this world. Men and women born in uh, Adam's image are, were broken from birth. Everyone is. And we, we suffer from birth a spiritual paralysis that, 
that keeps us from experiencing life as God intended it to be experienced, right? We, it keeps us from walking in communion with God. It, it keeps us from flourishing in the presence of God, never knowing the, the joy of the glory of God. We don't even know how paralyzed we are by nature. The holy angels have a sense of it, right? They know what God is like, and they live sinless lives. They maybe remember what it was like for Adam and Eve, but this is all we've known, and this paralysis was all the man had ever known. It was his life, and it was tragic and fundamentally broken. And just as the, the paralysis of his legs affected every aspect of his life, our spiritual paralysis affects every aspect of our life, far more than we recognize. We're made to glorify God, and yet we don't glorify God, not by nature. We're made to be in loving and fulfilling relationships with other people, and yet we find ourselves saying and doing things that destroy those relationships. And so if you ask the problem, what's wrong with us, what's wrong with mankind, the answer is mankind is paralyzed by sin. And there's nothing we can do to fix it. There's no solutions. And then the world is good at coming up with solutions. We just need more education. We need more money. We need more government involvement. We need better political and social systems. And those things might be able to do some mild, mild good, but, but they're powerless to address the paralysis. The problem with people can't be fixed by anything people do. And so this is the world in which we live. This is the plight of, of all mankind in Adam. And this is where the wonder of the church shines forth and is revealed. You've got to love this story. So, so this man is there by the gate. Some people have carried him there and set him down like they do every day. And, and he sees, verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Now there's, there's so much drama in this little snapshot. Notice, notice what we find in the man's request. We find an acceptance of his condition. He does not ask for healing. He's never asked for healing. It's not possible in his mind to be healed. And he's fixed then on just his present temporal need. He needs a few coins to buy his next meal. And so he sees Peter and John and he asks for so little. He asks for so little. Reminds me of the story of Jesus in John 4 at the, at the well. And the, the Samaritan woman is there and he asks her for some drink. And she responds and, and Jesus says, if you knew who it was who was asking you for drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She asked for so little, and she was in the presence of the one who created the universe by speaking. Well, these men asked for so, so little. It happens all the time. It happens in the world. It happens in the church. People come to deacons, and they, they need some help. They need some gas. They need some food. And they don't realize that by coming to the church, they're, they're coming to a place where there is power to have your entire life transformed. Not just your car fixed, but your whole life changed. Everything that's broken and wrong inside to be healed by Jesus, to be reconciled to the God who made you, 
They ask for so little. And so many people in the church, we, we easily ask for, for little. And the church has so much to give. And so we find here the second the miracle, uh, the invitation. So Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and, and said, look at us. I love that. They directed their gaze at him. So they really saw him. They took note of him. People were used to seeing beggars, but, but beggars were just part of the landscape. You didn't direct your gaze at them. You, you, you saw him them, uh, sitting there, and, and maybe if you had a few coins, you, you dropped them in, in the bucket, and, and you went on. But Peter and John did the unusual thing. They, they directed their gaze, and they, they saw him, and they asked him to look and see them. You see, the social blindness of those passing by was also true of the beggar. Why does Paul say, look at us, when we've just read in the text that, that he saw them about to go into the temple? Well, in some sense, because this man didn't really see Peter and John either. He just saw a potential resource, potential donors to his cause. Two men who could maybe give him a few coins. But that's not who they were. It's fundamentally not who they were. These are the apostles of Jesus Christ, the risen, reigning Jesus Christ. Men who have been divinely called, men who've been divinely equipped, men who've been sent by Christ to transform lives in the most radical way possible. These are ambassadors of the Christ. And they've been sent to announce the king's message, which accompanied by the power of God, is able to do what people can't do and to heal the paralysis that has gripped this world. This man has no idea who's standing in front of him when he sees Peter and John. If, if you were standing there, right, and, and, you knew, and you knew the story, you knew the reality, you'd want to you'd yell to him, wake up, man. That's Peter. That's John. They've been with Jesus. But the man doesn't see it. The blindness happens all the time, doesn't it? The world, you see, looks at the church often and usually just as like this man saw Peter and John. If they see any good in the church at all, we're just another organization that can possibly offer some meager help, maybe run a soup kitchen, maybe, um, you know, do something to help people manage their lives, give some classes. On, don't, you, know, you guys do that? You have classes on marriage and stuff? But you see, the church, the, the world assumes the church is valuable only to the extent that it's able to help the world achieve its goals and, and fulfill its purposes. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, this is the mission the world has for the church. The world looks at the church and asks us to give alms, to do some small good in the world, bring a little relief to people in their pain. Give people the things they need for a better life, some fellowship, some moral teaching, some beliefs so they can make sense of the world. Whatever we can do to relieve some of the suffering, that is what the world asks of the church. And unfortunately, too often, the, the, the church is more than happy to, to go along with that, to take on the task assigned by the world, to, to give itself to the world's agenda and, and try to do just this thing. But Peter and John are not going to play that game. Look at us. They command it. They speak with the authority and the concern of Jesus. This man is in vastly greater need than he knows. And they speak with men as men with a greater gift than anything he's ever asked or imagined. They're calling him to lift his eyes and dare to believe 
There's a reason to look up, and, and it's, it's a wonderful invitation. And the man responds, verse 5, and he fixed his attention on them. There's expectancy in the man's eyes. What's he expecting? Well, we're told in the text, expecting to receive something from them. Jackpot. These guys are going to help. They don't look wealthy, but everything, right, it, it all adds up. It, it, it's, it's all appreciated. So he looks at them, expecting to receive something from them. I mean, the, the drama here is so rich. And Peter says, I don't have any money. Sorry, I, I don't have any money. What a, what a cruel thing to say after you've raised this man's expectations. Look at us. We don't have a dime for you. Silver and gold have we none. What is going through the mind of this, this paralyzed man? Is this a joke? You just taunting me? Seriously? What are you doing? Well, Peter is correcting the man's expectations. You see, it's a lesson for the church as well. We need to have the honesty to admit to the world that we don't, we don't have the currency that they want. The church, we don't have the ability to fix this world's problems or remove its pain. We don't have the resources to erase poverty or we don't have a political scheme to, to erase injustice. We, we can help and aid and, and certainly in the confines of the church to do all that we can to alleviate and remove those things, erase those things, but... But the church isn't the answer for the world in, in, in the sense that, that we, we, we can do the things the world wants us to do and, 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 and fix it. So as a human organization, we just have to say we don't, we don't have silver and gold that you're looking for, but as a divine institution, as a divine organization, as the church of the living Christ, we have something vastly more. But what I do have, I give to you. Well, what did Peter have? He clearly believed he had something to give to the man, and the man would have been clueless. You don't have silver or gold. What, what do you have? Well, Peter has a name and a command and a hand. Peter has this precious gift. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he calls the man to rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Peter has a name. The name of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the one that was promised way back in Genesis 3.15 who had come to crush the serpent's head, the one who was going to make all things new. And so Peter faces the need of this man, the true need of this man, with a name. And all the authority, all the grace, all the gospel that name implied, that is what Peter has to give. And in that name, he, he gives a command, rise up and walk. It's an, it's an astonishing, audacious thing to say to a man who is paralyzed and has been paralyzed all of his life. That is the one thing he cannot do. And, and either Peter is the most callous, wicked, taunting man right, that you can imagine, or Peter knows something. And Peter has something. And Peter gives the command and reaches his hand and he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Now this, this really happened. And those around would have been astonished 
astounded, stunned. They had never imagined that it was possible. And yet, through a simple command, a man who's been paralyzed all of his life is made whole. Friends, that is the glory of the gospel. That is the glory of the gospel. What God commands, believe and repent, he gives the power to do. He reaches out his hand and raises us, uh, us up. And, and, and we are miraculously healed, just as this man. So walking and leaping, he enters the temple and prays, is praising God. Can you, I mean, can you just imagine the scene? Here, here is the power of God made evident, made real. And, and friends, that's what we should be seeing in the church. That's what we should pray for. And it doesn't have to be this immediate and stunning. The, the, the spiritual miracles that we're, we're praying for might be, well, just more subtle. Children who obey their parents willingly by the power of God. And husbands and wives who live together peaceably by the power of God. And, and acts of charity and kindness all happening because God is at work in our hearts. And it's miraculous. And people coming to faith, young people professing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Not because they're just better or brighter, but because the Holy Spirit has, has, has penetrated their heart. And they've seen their sin. And they love Jesus. That's a miracle of grace. The story is told of one of the popes of Rome in the 12th century showing St. Thomas Aquinas around the uh, St. Peter's and the Vatican. Uh, you know how incredibly beautiful that is. And so the pope was going around and pointing to the gold and the silver and the ornate buildings and the magnificence of it all. And he said to Thomas Aquinas, he said, you see, Thomas, the church can no longer say silver and gold, have I none? I do see, said Thomas, but she also cannot say rise up and walk. The power of God is no longer, was no longer evident. It's a, it's a good question for us to ask. You see, the world should be able to look at the church and just see God's power at work in the transformed lives of ordinary sinners. Because this is the story of every born-again person, isn't it? I once was blind, but now I see. I was lost. Now I'm found. I was paralyzed to my sin, myself, my addiction, my pride, completely captive to it. I loved my sin. I loved the things that were destroying me, and I couldn't fix it. But Jesus came. A messenger came, an ambassador of Christ came and preached the gospel to me. And I heard it, and I believed it. It was true. I understood that, that in Jesus, I could be transformed. I could be made new. And, and, I, and I confessed my sin, and I called out in his name, and Jesus has been working in me ever since. You see, the, 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 the beauty of this, of this story, of this, this miracle, is that the miracle's not the point. The miracle's not the point. It, the healing of the lame man is a sign pointing to what God is doing in the world through Jesus Christ. As, as God is raising dead people to life through the power of Christ. And so Peter immediately, when the crowd gathers, right, he has a message to give. And, he, and in a sense, it's the miracle all over again. Once again, he faces people, a crowd now, made in the image of God, paralyzed in their brokenness and their sin and their unbelief. He sees men alienated 
from the God who created them. People unable to free themselves or fix themselves or make themselves right with God. They're paralyzed, every one of them. And once again, Peter confesses, I don't have the currency. He confesses his inadequacy. Verses 11, he says, why why are you looking at us? As though it were our power or our piety that made this happen. We don't have anything. Don't look at us. But what we have, we give to you. And what did he give to them? He gave them a message, a gospel, a proclamation that God has glorified his servant. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. That God has exalted Christ and given him the name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. And so, so he says, God has done this to Christ. And then, then he says, and this is what you've done to Christ. You murdered him. You, uh, you, you, you killed the author of life. You denied the holy and righteous one. You delivered him over and you said, give us Barabbas. Give us the murderer. When Pilate was ready to release him, this is what you've done. He convicts them of the truth of their sin, their rebellion, and how incredibly ripe they are for judgment. They put to death the one that God raised from the dead and has exalted to his right hand. And then he points out so wonderfully that it is not vengeance, that's the theme of the, uh, uh, the day, it's not, vengeance is not God's message for the world, but grace and healing power is God's message for the world. And so he says, verse 16, and, and his name, the name of Jesus, and by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. The faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And he calls them to repent. He calls them to turn back that their sins might be blotted out and their paralysis removed and they could be walking and leaping and praising God. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. How do we apply it? Well, I think it's fairly simple, straightforward. We have a mission in the world as the church of Jesus Christ. We get to call people to rise up and walk. To say to people who are completely in bondage to their sin, to their unbelief, to their ignorance, to their, the idols that they're living for, we, we're, we're free to say to them, as, as Peter said, we don't, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we give, to, we give to you. We have a name, Jesus. And we give you all that Jesus has accomplished. We proclaim to you all that Jesus has done for this broken world, and we promise he'll do it for you if you call upon his name. And we say that with absolute confidence. I think it's critical. I think one of the reasons it's hard for us to talk to people about Jesus is this, well, do we have the confidence that Jesus really can and Jesus really will? What if Peter would have said, "Reach out, you know, um, I'm going to tell you to do something. I'm not sure it's possible. I've never done this before. I've never actually seen it happen, but let's just give it a try. Here, give me your hand. I mean, you lose something. I think it's exactly, you see, the confidence that Peter and John have. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you. Rise up and walk. 
And it's precisely the confidence they have in Christ. That man, if you, if you believe what I've just told you, if you take my hand, you're going to walk by the power of God. I think the confidence is a critical part of the mission. As we trust not in our strength, we don't have any, but in the strength of Jesus. And we, friends, we, we begin to do this right here in our own midst. We, we begin to say to each other, as, as, as we're talking with, with one another, and we, we begin to remind each other what God is able to do. There's, there's, there's no need for, for, for people to stay in bondage to their addictions. The power of Jesus is sufficient to break that bondage. Because we can easily just shrug our shoulders and say, well, that's just the way it is. Well, maybe that is the way it is. It's not the way it needs to remain. Jesus can transform any person. Jesus can break through any bondage. And we need to speak that and believe that. Jesus can heal any marriage. I don't, I don't care what's happened in that marriage. Jesus is able to, to give people deeply compassionate, forgiving hearts. Jesus is able to break through bondages of, of fear and, and, and hurt and, and uh, bitterness. Marriages do not need to be lost in the church of Jesus Christ. It doesn't need to be that way. Children do not need to wander away. Now, again, I know sometimes they do, and it breaks our hearts. And God alone is sovereign, and He's not asked to, well, it's not because we've done something wrong, but we need, if we could just believe together and pray together and say to our, our children, there really is in Jesus Christ a power to transform you. And we're going to pray like we believe it's true. You see, the message the, that we have for the world, the, the thing that we have for the world is, is nothing less than Jesus Christ, the name of Christ, and the confidence that believers should have in the name of Jesus Christ, and the confidence that, that as we call people to repent and believe, thing that they cannot do in themselves, we trust that by the power of God, they will be able to believe and live and walk. That's our calling. May God grant us evidences then of that beautiful saving power as we see wandering sheep restored and broken marriages healed and addictions broken, graces growing. God mightily and beautifully at work sanctifying and changing lives for His glory, for His mission. Amen. Oh, Father, we thank You so much for Jesus Christ, for the name that is above every name. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for your grace to us that you have opened our eyes. We once were lost, but you found us. We once were paralyzed by sin, but you set us free. And Lord, though we feel the effects of sin and, and the weakness of our flesh, we thank you, oh Jesus, that you have power to hold us fast, to preserve us, and to sanctify us. Father, I pray that we would see your power at work here at Harvest Church. That we would see marriages that are hard and deeply broken, miraculously restored by the power of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we could believe for our struggling brothers and sisters, that we could have confidence together that Jesus is able to do the impossible and to bring grace and hope 
and healing and love where now there is despair and alienation and bitterness and fear. Jesus, I pray that we would see young people continue, Lord, as you bless us so much, as young people are professing their faith in Jesus. I pray, Lord, we would continue to see that happen. We would see, Lord, wandering children come back. Jesus, you are able, I pray right now, that you would, Lord, mightily, we have no power, but that you would intervene and intercede and that we would have the joy of seeing young people who've wandered away come back to, to Christ, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, for those who are in the bondage to addictions, that you would give them, Lord, the grace to confess and to humble themselves, to call upon the name of Jesus and to ask for help from, from brothers and sisters. And Lord, that, that as you humble them and humble us, Lord, there would be the wonderful gift of repentance and grace and growth. Oh, Father, we're so weak, and yet you are so mighty. I pray that you would give us the grace to believe great things for the glory of God, for our lives, and that we would have, Lord, the confidence to pray, Lord, bold prayers, and that we would have the joy of seeing beautiful, miraculous answers as we, Lord, worship you, as we engage in your mission, as we live as the church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's respond together.